Welcome to another edition of Barbarians at the Gate. I am Jeremiah Jenny, broadcasting high above the Dongcheng district of Beijing, looking down on empty streets and abandoned COVID testing centers. With me, calling in from across town, safely out of range of my infectious voice, is David Moser. David, how you doing? I'm doing fine. So far, so good. I thought we were kind of through with the COVID uh, topic, but it looks like it's just coming up. And in fact, this is COVID with a vengeance. Indeed, you are infected. But I have to say that you, both you and our third guest here, our second guest, looks both look quite well considering your circumstances. Yes, we are. I'm joined <laughs> in the podcast by my compatriot and COVID, my fellow microbe, Yeah, June. Yeah, June, how are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good today. Day six of COVID. <laughs> yeah, you're on day six. I'm on day eight. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we're also part of the earliest, we're the, or the early part of the wave that has now swept completely across Beijing. The statistics have completely gone out the window, as we'll talk about. Uh, they, they, The government simply has said, yeah, we have no idea either. But it does feel like we were on the early side of it, and now it's Somewhere between one third and two thirds of the city is currently on some day of their COVID infection, which if you think that Beijing has about 20 million-ish people, that is a shitload of sick people out there. David, how are you feeling? Have you managed to avoid the virus thus far in your scholarly hermitage? Yes, uh, so far, although it's a little distressing to be in my uh, man cave here, kind of in curled up in fetal position watching everyone around me contract the disease, including my students. I had final exams today, and I, th I would say about a third of them either were in the throes of it or had just been diagnosed or had family members also who were sick. Jeremiah, maybe we could put a stamp on this because uh, this is kind of important uh, where we are exactly right now. How many days ago was it that, that essentially China reversed its zero COVID and just opened up? Is it last? Is it only one week ago? Is that possible? I think I remember this well because it was roughly last Wednesday. Uh, that was the day right. that I started to get a little tickle in my throat and a little bit of fever. And as I was sitting on the couch pondering the mysteries of COVID, I, we started to see messages on our WeChat feeds and in the official accounts that not only was the government laying flat, uh, they had basically just you know, stripped off all their clothes and were taking on all microbe comers. Uh, it was just a complete 180 degree turnaround from what had been the norm for what, like two years? Three years. Three years. That, that's yeah. right. Quite, quite a shock. Kind of pulled the rug out from from under us with the no preparation, you know, no months of uh, advanced warning or advanced advice about what was about to happen. So let's let's start with the two of you because I kind of think we need to f talk about where you are at the moment and how this fits in. So Jeremiah, are you saying you had you felt you had contracted the disease before this big uh, opening up? The way it kind of worked, it kind of worked out was so Wednesday I started feeling sick, and then we started getting messages that, for example, various public places would no longer require test results. Prior to this, for about two years prior to this, maybe a little bit less time, about a year and a half prior to this, you needed to show that you had had a test within seventy-two hours or forty-eight hours to enter everything from an office building to a Seven Eleven, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. that went away, and that was a huge. That was a huge change. And then people stopped getting their test results uh, because, of course, what we now kind of think happened is that prior to Wednesday, there were already 
they're already aware that they were going to get this like tidal wave of positive tests and that, you know, we, we may never know exactly how the decision making plays out, but it did feel like last week that either some combination of economic news hangover from the protest and the reality that this was a coming convinced at least, you know, the Beijing municipal government and it seems also the central government that they really didn't have any choice but to abandon many of the most onerous you know, zero co- aspects of zero COVID policy, centralized quarantine, enforcing test results. The result, as can be imagined, is a, a complete spread. But I'd like to ask Yajun, who was out in the wild, uh, she, she was at work that week before she caught COVID, uh, when all this was going down. What was it like on the street last week as these policies were being undone one after another? I think... It really, you know, if you ask me uh, at that moment, uh, that was the last Monday when I went to the office. If you ask me at that moment, do you think the government will completely change the policy and uh, two thirds of the city will be sick? I would say you are insane. But, you know, here we are about eight, 10 days later. And uh, yeah, it's uh, everything very dramatic. But I, I would say that before the central CDC roll out those uh, 10 new articles, uh, opening at everything, I, I do feel like there was certain kind of expectation among people that, you know, the government should open up because there was a lot of prep before that already. And the, the, the uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday's opening up a policy is basically confirming people's speculation and kind of a follow the trend, you know, follow what, what people would like to see. But I think what took people by surprise is the scale, the speed of COVID, how quickly it got the, the, the rollout of the, the whole city. I mean, even when you, Jeremiah, got the, the fever at the beginning, I wasn't sure it was COVID or not. But pretty quick, you know, I, I saw so many people got sick. All of my team got sick. Everyone got high fever, exactly the same symptom. So it was quite clear that, you know, this is a huge wave of COVID hit very hard of the city. So, you know, but at the same time, I also feel like it's quite, quite amazing. People adapt really quickly, you know, start to realize, oh, we have COVID. Even though this disease was demonized for the last three months, uh, three years, sorry. And people can jump on the treatment, jump on changing the position, learning how to treat it, start to give each other, you know, comfort and consolation. So, yeah, people change really quickly and uh, try to adapt as quickly as possible. So, so yeah, Jun, did you, among your friends and the people that you know, um, is, is the mood sort of one of just instant adjustment mode or accommodation mode? You have to we have all these problems we have to figure out now, and everyone's focused on that. Is, is our, it seems to me from talking to cab drivers that I, I just had to go get my visa extended, and he was mostly talking about, uh, okay, what, what's the next step? What are we going to do now? And only a little bit angry at the suddenness and the lack of preparation. He didn't, he, 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 it did bother him, and he was angry at that, but he didn't dwell on it. Is that the sense you have that people are just in problem-solving mode and they're not in the mood to falao sao, you know, get angry at the government? Yeah, that that's my sense too. I think, you know, people do hope 
that there is more medicine, there's a more system in the place. But I think there are a few factors really prevent people from focusing on blaming other people than focusing on solving the problem. Is that first, everyone is sick. Right. So when you are surrounded by the people who are sick and you feel the first wave, people start to recover and people feel like, okay, maybe it's not that bad. Right. That's the first thing. And the second thing, people understand that once they get antibody, they wouldn't get it at least for the six months. So some of my friends even feel like, oh, let's just get it and get over with and then we can move on with with our life and then we can start to plan where we can go as for 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 next year for trip right so people haven't traveled for such a long time you know we have a chinese new year coming over and also yeah and also we see a lot of uh support within community for example in our compound we see people start start to ask around um who has a like a cold medicine can you can, can I borrow it, borrow it or buy it? Anybody has antibody test kit that we can we can borrow or buy? So you see a lot of supporting among neighborhood that you wouldn't see before. So yeah, one of those really you know organically grow over the last few days so people you know at beginning was like some people were panic i think really concerned but once you know 80 percent of your friends will got it and they are recovering and they look okay you would say okay maybe it's not that bad i get the sense too yeah june that a lot of people and this was sort of surprised me but i think a lot of people have at some point in the last year or at least the last few months have come to the conclusion that listen the only way out of this is through this Hmm. that you know many people in a a city like beijing where they're kind of international relatively internationally aware they've come to the realization that there was gonna there's no end to this that doesn't involve we're all gonna have to get this disease at some point and then we're gonna come out the other side just like the rest of the world has and then we're gonna move on with our lives and I, i wonder if maybe for a certain group of people, this isn't everybody, but for a certain group of people and probably the people that, that we know the best, mm. this is kind of seen as, all right, cost of doing business, we're going to be sick, let's get through it. And then at the other end of this, we can go back to something that looks like normal. And again, this doesn't apply to people who are immunocompromised, older. There's a, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are concerned, very worried. There are people with parents that are very worried. I get all that. But I think there's also a lot, especially younger people, urbanites who are just like, dude, let's just get this over with. Yeah. And even if you are worried, what can you do? Right. There's not much to do. If you cannot get medicine, you still cannot get medicine. If your kid get it, you're still concerned. Right. So take my mom, for example. I talked to her on Saturday. And at that time, actually, I got the, the fever already. I just didn't want to tell her because she would totally freak out. She was, you know, yelling at me in, in, in the phone call saying, that, oh, you, you have to take care of yourself, protect yourself, wear three layers of, of a facial mask. So you wouldn't get it because there's a lot of side effects and consequences. Be careful. And of course, two days later, she got a fever. And right now she's, uh, you know, recovering from her own COVID disease. And she said, oh, this is great. Right now, we don't need to worry about it. And we can start to plan the Chinese New Year. My mom is probably one of the most, uh, you know, stubborn person and most uh, demonized 
COVID person that you would know because she she really, you know, got all of the propaganda work on her about how bad COVID is. But if she managed to change her attitude, so it shows that how quick human being can adapt once the, the environment changes. You know, there's a kind of a mythical quality by now of COVID. You know, and it comes from the Wuhan era and then everything afterwards, where you had these. Shocking, dystopian, nightmarish images and accounts of ER rooms and things. For me, I mean, this is quite interesting for me because it's I, I myself am going through this transition that you're just talking about. I mean, we went for years. People would jokingly say the lockdown is worse than the the disease, and it was kind of an exaggeration、uh, a year or two ago. But now,、uh, two things. One is I'm looking at people like you who've got it, and you both. Are functioning and you look fine. And by now, everyone I know is basically in your situation at one stage or the other. They've either、uh, they're in the, the the midst of it, but they're still functioning. They still go online. They still work. I just contacted the secretary at my university who needed to help me with my visa application, and she's right in the middle of it. But she talked for 15 minutes on the phone with the person there and functioned quite well. So that's one thing. It makes me think, gee. This is not the Wuhan era. This is not where you know where people are just absolutely. And the other thing is, I'm not hearing stories and seeing images of ERs、mm. crowded with people on respirators and, and outside, and relatives there crying and people dying. It's not happening. And and you remember this happened really quickly in other cities when the outbreaks would happen two years ago, three years ago. So all this has caused all of us to, I think, to just quit. Very, as you say, Yaju, and human beings quickly adapt, and it's it's a bit of a psychological、uh, shock, I guess, or a little bit of a psychological adjustment that you have to make. But I'm coming around. I'm thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be afraid so much. I'm probably going to get it, but it's just like getting the flu. And I'm a little older than the two of you, <laughs> so I'm likely to have a little, a few.、Uh, my symptoms are likely to be worse, but yeah. Live and let you know. We go on. Life goes on. Well, I mean, there's always the danger to to minimize it because, of course, you're right. I mean, you know, yeah, June and I and people that we know generally are relatively healthy. There's no underlying conditions. And I'll be honest. I mean, it, it I'm not. It, it wasn't like a pleasant three or four days. But I'll tell you, I've had night outs at patio shades where the after effects were far more severe and lasted a lot longer than COVID did. <laughs> but on the other hand, I mean. You know, I, I think one of the things that I am interested in seeing or, or worried about. All right, it's gone through kind of the the young urban population. What happens when it hits the villages? What happens when it hits the smaller towns? What happens when it hits an older population who, by the way, have done a pretty good job of of kind of taking themselves out of circulation. That's one reason the streets of Beijing have been so empty. People are really taking precautions. Way more than Americans do, you know. Americans are like, "Hey, COVID's in town. Let me go to a rodeo and start kissing the horses." In China, you know, when when COVID started to spread in Beijing, a lot of people actually were even more protective than they were back when there was all these zero COVID policies. But it's only a matter of time, and you know, you're right. We haven't, so far at least, seen a lot of pictures of overwhelmed emergency rooms. Overwhelmed hospitals. The city has set up fever clinics all around the city. The lines of those clinics are growing longer. What do you think, Yajuna? I mean, is this something that eventually we may start hearing stories from, if not Beijing, you know, Baoding or a smaller city, smaller areas, or are those stories not going to 
get on the radar. You will never hear those stories. Actually, Baudin has already been through all of that. They have even earlier uh, hit by COVID than than Beijing. When, when the government says, you know, it's a it's a successful story, it's going to be a successful story. I think by nature, this straight threat of a uh, uh, variant is not that bad. So I do believe most of the people will recover from it. And the the fatality rate is going to be small. And unfortunately, some people with the underlying condition will be hit. But you, you never know how those uh, deaths or fatality will be counted, right? So the number can be easily manipulated, right? If you look at the official number right now, we have only 1,500 um, COVID cases in Beijing right now. So There are 1,500 COVID cases in the KFC downstairs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Right. That's that was almost hilarious. A lot of the people, uh, the the comments on we, on WeChat even <laughs> were very <funny>. people <laughs> saying, you know, this is this is like Olympic class lying. And I even heard that being compared. This is Trump class lying. But I, I there's something I'm curious about for the both of you because you're both going through this now. For for me and for you, I, I for everyone, especially foreigners, in the last two three years. There's always been this very strong connection between uh, you and your committee, community center, the Jue Hui, and the police, and the uh, epidemic authorities about you know people who were positive, and you were always aware that when this happens, they're going to know about it. They're going to check on you. They're going to either take you to a quarantine facility or they're going to at least show up in the white hazmat suits and take your temperature and this kind of thing. So there's all this feeling that okay now I'm a person of interest and this and I'm going to be told what to do and everything and now I'm I'm here alone in my apartment and uh, I don't know when or if I'm going to get it but if I do uh, then what can I expect is someone going to care do I just you know go to the hospital myself am I on my own is do I have to report it I, I hear you're getting tested, but but how how am I going to get tested if I'm homesick? Well, first of all, I don't even know if I have COVID. Yeah, our, our test was because yeah, June ordered some some like self tests on Taobao, and they finally got delivered. Archie Weihui not only doesn't care; they've been closed for a week because wait for it, everyone in the office has COVID. COVID. <laughs> right. So at this they point, they got it even earlier than us. There's no one to report it to. <laughs> this is. I'm waiting. I'm wait. I'm waiting to see an announcement that the C- Chinese CDC is closed due to <laughs> due to COVID infections. Maybe they are closed already. We just don't know. Yeah. By the way, interestingly, you mentioned that I saw there was a message coming from one of our resident in the compound. He was looking for Ju Weihui because he just came back from overseas. According to the current policy, after quarantine in the hotel, you still need to self uh, self uh, observation. Yeah, self isolate. Something like that for three days, and somebody's supposed to follow up with him to te- uh, test the temperature and to sign up uh, a form or something, and to prove that he has done that. And he tried to find a Jue Hui. Nobody answered the phone. Nobody fo- follow up with him. Right. He's on his own. But this isn't this part of the issue. Uh, I mean, this is maybe for, for to talk about after some of we solve these problems, as as I just mentioned. But. What kind of governance is this? This is this is incredible for cover of a governmental body that is that are usually control freaks and have been so throughout this entire epidemic. 
the the total relaxation and the total dissolution of all of these control mechanisms is somewhat i would say at least at the very least surprising but at the at the most kind of irresponsible i mean we're sort of left alone all guessing what the new reality is and what we're supposed to do i mean to say all right stay at home self quarantine don't go to the hospital unless you're sick well, there's a lot of information that we need before we can just say, oh, thank you. Yes, sir. That's all we need to know. We're going to sit. There are, I have a lot of questions. And if I get the disease, I'm going to have a lot of questions about what I do now. And there's no one to answer them. I think that when historians look back at this period in human history, there's going to be a lot of governments who will have to answer a lot of questions about how they handled the pandemic during, middle, and after. Certainly, the right, United exactly. States and Western Europe have their own share of uh, issues. You know, China, we're still kind of in the middle of that story. But you're right. I think um, two things. One, the 180-degree turn seems to be a little bit abrupt. Also, there's the question of the idea of zero COVID policy was to buy time to build ICUs and to get a vaccine. And it doesn't and, – and roll out the vaccine, make sure people get the jabs in the arms – doesn't seem like that really happened. And so now we're kind of in this situation in December 2022, you know, a zero COVID policy has been replaced with zero COVID policy. Like there is now no policy. <laughs> and as Yajun said, we went from like a 20 point plan to a 10 point plan to fuck it. Let's let the universe decide this. Yeah, there were kind of steps in that direction, but I really feel like those steps got progressively larger and more insane as we went on over the last couple of weeks. Looks to me like if they're going to claim later on, like, oh, we had it all planned. Uh, we were waiting until the death toll you know, of the Omicron, you know, we get to, the, to a, a, a version of the disease where the death toll was at its lowest. And then we very wisely and with great... Uh, Perpiscuity, we decided to abandon the zero COVID at this point when it was now safer. Well, that would make sense if three or four months ago they had said, all right, folks, December, it's going to be a big change. We're going to start gradually opening up. A lot of these things are going to go away. You might want to stock up ibuprofen and cold medicines. You might want to talk about this to the schools about closing earlier, but you know, there's going to be a lot of cases, but that didn't happen. And so to me, on the surface level, the dynamics look like Oh, you're angry, you're writing, you're cursing us. Well, then, if you want to be open up, we'll just open up then. That's what it looks like. You want to get That's nuts? what it looks like to you me. You want COVID? I'll give you your COVID. Go yeah. enjoy Avatar. Exactly. Go get yeah. some cough exactly. drops. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. This is the feeling. This is... Now, surely it cannot be that simple. Surely a government cannot be that petty. But this is the f optics are there. What do you two think? I mean, seriously, I'm really serious about this question. Those are the optics. What do you think? Do you think there was a plan, yeah, June? Or, or were they just like, <laughs> people are holding up signs. Uh, maybe they get COVID, that'll keep them at home for a few weeks. No, I think none of us will know exactly how, ha <laughs> how that happened because there's just no way to know. But there's a lot of speculation behind it, right? There was a uh, saying that because of a, a letter come from Foxconn's uh, founder um, saying that if you don't open up, um, China will lose its center of a global supply chain. Uh, that may play a very important role. And there was the protest, of course. And 
but I, I I do feel one possibility is that before all of this opening, they the government see, have seen some number of a positive case, and then they realize that there's no way they can put so many positive cases p- patients into right. um, those hospital isolation <laughs> place. They don't have the resource on the ground to quarantine everyone anymore. So yeah, there's a you know let's just face it and, and just just open up. That that's my theory. I don't know how true it is, but right now looking back, for example, Jeremiah got sick on, on Wednesday, right? That's the day they opening up. But Jeremiah and I, we didn't go out much. Our, our life was really simple. We worked from home. I only went to the office once and Jeremiah went jogging, you know, at once every every day, you know, for a few days. That's the only time we were outside of our apartments and Jeremiah got it. Must have from somebody. So that means that yeah. the, all of the cases spread widely in the city for a while, right? So my, my theory is that the government has to see, see a, a, a set of a data and it was so big that they have to. That, that actually makes sense. You're saying this, the COVID, zero COVID suddenly, to their surprise and to everyone's surprise, be, just became untenable. Mm. It became it became absolutely impossible even to, to continue it for another month. They cried uncle. I mean, we saw this, but we saw the graduals rising cases nationwide, particularly in Beijing. But one of the things about if you take a look at the numbers as they re- reported them, they go up in a very kind of smooth, unbroken line. You know, there's, there's some variations, but they tend to be within a very set range. You'd very rarely do you see right. like a sudden spike one day and then not as many cases the next day you, that you might if they were actually tracking day-to-day numbers. What it looked like was more either a rolling average or the attempt to make it look like a rolling average. And yeah, I honestly think that by and large, the numbers of positive cases up to recent, up to a few couple of weeks ago in China were probably somewhat reflective of a reality. But I also agree with Yajun that I think at some point in the last few weeks, the the numbers either jumped or there was some aberration or here's a possibility that they, they they stopped trusting the testing regime whatever it was but they they something spooked i think there might be another reason that the government decided to change their policy is the lack of resources on the the, the lowest level of administration the juehui level um think about our juehui right they were really active but 10 days before the latest policy, uh, we have another building got a positive case. And they said they haven't seen anybody from our Juehui because they were either sick or, you know, they have other reason. And the whole office was closed. And also at the same time, if uh, you remember, you know, before the protest, there was a lot of uh, uh, rebellion. <laughs> from uh, those clo- uh, lockdown com- uh, compounds uh, against the local Juehui. I-, I wonder, you know, after three years, all of the- those local cadres, they are on the front line and they were facing all of the frustrations. They are the one have to, you know, drag people out of their compound in the middle of the night. Their layer has spread so thin and people have so little energy and resources left. So with that kind of situation and the rising case, so you know what, what else can the government do? The only thing is to just let it go. 
You know, one of that, I think, with this too, is that, uh, you know, the, the Chinese government tends to be a little bit of a black box. And it is reasonable to assume that within the various branches of government at the different levels, that there were a, a there was a variety of opinions about how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. Now, again, zero COVID was a policy that you know nominally was attached to Xi Jinping. I don't know how much major pushback there was from the different parts of the government until recently. And then you have things like business leaders sending letters. You have the protests. You have you know all kinds of data coming in. And what that may have done too is there may have already been in the government or at different levels officials who were like we got to find that we got to find an off-ramp for this but they were afraid to push it too much especially with the party congress and everything going on now all these different parts of or pieces these data points whether it's popular unrest p- passive or not so passive resistance to the policies a a shocking lack of morale in the frontline workers you know, the economic situation, what have you, it, it emboldened a lot of people to make some decisions that probably they wanted to make earlier, but for reasons couldn't. Now, again, we don't know. Either either they wanted to make them earlier or they, was, they were hoping to push it a little further than it was able to be pushed. I mean, they may have been waiting until the beginning of the Chinese New Year or something. And it, I think that uh, what you're all both saying sounds very plausible. And what Yajun says about the stress on resources We've talked about this in the in previous podcasts about this topic, in fact, which, which is that the implementation of these of these policies is always at these lower levels where they're just ordinary people living their lives, but they've got to take care of these local communities. And yeah, I think that you could. It was very visible to all of us. I'm sure to you, you people too. Not from uh, the people who guard the gates to the the people in the clinics to the the, the Dabai, they all were just absolutely, uh, you know, completely zonked and fatigued and frustrated and tired. And, and also we talked about they were bearing the brunt or or they were they were the the recipients of the vitriol of the of the popular people. So they were not only emotionally sort of drained, but physically. And uh, yeah, I think this I think that makes a, a lot of sense. All right, since this is our last episode of 2022, we're going to be heading into a, a short hiatus for the holidays. I'm flying back to the United States for the first time in three and a half years on Saturday. David is going on his uh, you know, semester-end conjugal visit to Taiwan, and so we'll be uh, reconvening in January. But before we do, I want to kind of get, I'm going to put you on the spot, both of you, and put you a little bit of predictions here about what do you think comes next where, where do you think we're going to be a month from now in the saga of china cocoa and the microbes i think we will see more positive image in, in beijing because even even for next week i think there will be a lot of people on the street because the first wave of a patient recovered like a germ germy enemy even though we are not a fully uh recovered we are, we are functional i plan to go to the office to work and a lot of the people are at the same wave with us so for the cities hit hit by the first wave like beijing or some little city like Baoding. <laughs> Yeah, people start to feel, okay, I have antibody. I don't need to worry about it. I can, you know, really 
get on with my life. And then this wave of a virus will start to spread to the rest of the country. So you may see the peak time for the second tier city and the third tier city. And then we'll have a, the Chinese New Year, which I, I, I hope, you know, this year after um, two Chinese New Year that a lot of people cannot spend their family, I do expect a big huge migration uh, of a people, uh, of a population, you know, go to go finally can go back to a hometown. I think in January, people will start to plan for that. And you will see a lot of people will take that trip. That migration will accelerate the speed of the spread of a virus. But, you know, like I mentioned, I think big cities will start to become vibrant again, you know, energetic again, you know, looking for a more energetic new year, 2023. One of my friends, we, we start to make a plan for next year's travel already. So it feels like it's a new start after three years of this kind of a miserable life. And for lower tier cities, people will start to get it, but eventually they will come back to, to the normal. Okay. David, what about you? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I essentially think that's the, the optimistic uh, forecast. I think the problems that lie ahead now, that that they've that all hell has broken loose, and it wasn't so much hell as just kind of heck, uh, what they'll do is the small problems, such as the uh, death rate among the elderly, uh, the the other outbreaks in, in, the, in the second and third tier cities, are all things that can either be covered up by the news media and the propaganda system, or are just uh, the usual thing that happens with all news stories. They just get buried under other more, you know, eye-catching news stories. So, so there'll be bad news, but it, it won't be so bad that it becomes the lead, and they'll be able to cover it up. So China will get optimistic again. Uh, the people who have gotten sick, will all, the herd immunity will begin to take place, so people will start being so afraid. And my prediction after the Chinese New Year is that the, the lead story will be, it's the economy, stupid. So the next thing is going to be, you know, we're back on track. We're going to get the economy back up, GDP back up, et cetera, et cetera. That's going to be the story. And because we've been in isolation for so long and it's been this, uh, uh, you know, nuclear winter practically, uh, those stories are all going to be great. I mean, you know, they're going to be able to have great uh, videos of Wang Fujing and... Uh, you know all the hot spots in in Chengdu and everything opening up, burgeoning again, and that'll be the, that will be the story. So I think it'll be a good year next year. Although there'll still be these uh, after effects of there, there will be a kind of a social and economic long COVID. That's for sure. But it won't be the lead story because just like the disease petered out and became the flu, this economic and social and medical emergency is now petered out and just becomes you know life as usual. That's my prediction. Yeah, I agree. I think there won't be any space for, I think there won't be any space for negative news, even though, you know, there will be some deaths. And first, you wouldn't hear it. Second, people wouldn't have a mental space for that. Because after three years, people are going to play catch up. We have been right. behind for such a long time, and people can't, you know, start to pack up and focus on business. All right, so I'm going to be an asshole. I, I, I'm, I'm a little more pessimistic. You know, this is one of those situations where I come back in January and you know, you're both going to look at me and go, see, why are you to be such an asshole? But I don't know. Maybe it's my nature. I, I think that there are a lot of reasons that you know, people are kind of embracing the COVID lifestyle in Beijing right now. 
I don't know if that's going to be the case when it hits the second, third, and fourth tier cities. I don't know if people are going to be able to do that kind of mental 180 that people in Beijing have done. I spent Maybe I've spent too much time in the last three years traveling to smaller cities and just seeing just the level of panic and terror uh, regarding COVID. Although if Yajun's mom can change her mind about this, Auntie Lee and Lanzhou might be able to too. I don't know. Even, in, and then fortunately, fortunately, these variants do seem to be a lot less uh, powerful or, you know, they, they cause less reaction than some of the earlier variants that swept through the rest of the world. But even if it's a tiny percentage, we're in the land of big numbers, to quote a very good recent book. And the, the, the problem is that those numbers, a small percentage of that big number is a large number of people who are going to be very affected by this. Now, whether that news gets out or not, that's going to be a reality. Here's the thing, too. I think that news is going to get out. I think in the next next few weeks, next few months, we're going to start hearing some more of those stories about overwhelmed hospitals or clinics in some parts of China. There'll be people in the Western media who will hyperventilate and say this is happening all over China, which won't be the case. But we'll also have the state media go, this isn't happening at all, which, of course, isn't true either. And so I think I think there is going to be uh, some turbulence at the very least over the next few next few weeks into the month. I think, you know, the, they just released some data that C-Trip, uh, Baidu both released some data that people the, the potential the, the number of people booking flights and checking out travel for the Xiaojun set for Chai's New Year is, is way up year on year. But I'm not necessarily sure that's going to be the best thing either as the, the, as the, you know, the wave gets spread inland and into the countryside by people returning for Chinese New Year. Uh, I think we're in for, for some bumpy few months. What that will look like on the other side, I don't know. But if you guys, you guys seem a little bit more optimistic, and that's cool. That means that you're just good people. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just dial it back a little bit in my own, my own take and, and be a bit more pessimistic about what this all means. Correction, I'm not being more up, uh, optimistic. I'm just uh, trying to describe the reality and the, the, the mindset of uh, people right now in this country. Like I said, people don't have mental space for bad news. That's it. All right. Well, when we come back in January, we'll see where we are. Hopefully they let me back in the country. Hope they let David back in the country. Hopefully they let yeah, June out of the country and then back into the country. David, did you have a final thought? Well, you just made a mistake. You said back into the country. Uh, I'm going to Taiwan. <clears throat> I'm not going <clears throat> out of the country, technically speaking, just to make that correction. You might want to censor that in the podcast. <laughs> By all means, please send hate mail to uh, barbarians at the gate at barbarians at the gate.com. Not a real email address. Or you could just like flame us on Twitter because you do anyway. I mean, now you just have something to really hate us for. All right. Well, that's a good point. So when uh, I return to the country and Yajun returns okay. to the country and David returns to the renegade province, then uh, we will, of course, see who is right, who is wrong, and what the situation here is in Beijing. Until then, happy holidays, David. Happy holidays, Yajun. And happy holidays uh, to all of those who celebrate various aspects of uh, colonialist Christmas and other <laughs> major festivities at this time of year. What? No? No, no? We can't do a colonialism joke? Are we? Okay. Anyway. Well, I guess that. Cue the drums. See you in 2023.